Welcome to Had a Magical Day, the podcast about Disney parks that's like taking a vacation in the middle of your day. Hello, everybody. We'd like to welcome you to another exciting episode of Had a Magical Day. We have a very, very special guest, our good friend. Uh, you may have seen him on PBS's Antiques Roadshow. He's the creator and mastermind behind the Northeast Comic Con. Let's all welcome our good friend, Gary Summers, everybody. Gary, welcome. Aloha. Aloha. Yes. Uh, thanks for the intro, Andrea. Yeah, so we want to talk to you about the 1964 World's Fair, uh, Gary, and the role it played in Disney and really the development of uh, Walt Disney World in Florida. The World's Fair was a very important aspect of the 1960s and kind of uh, set a, um, a marker that uh, everyone can relate to because of when it happened and how it happened and what happened and that the whole world got involved directly after John F. Kennedy was murdered, uh, assassinated. So it was a very uh, unusual time in American history. My experience with the World's Fair, um, you know, I, I, like many people of my age, we grew up on the Mickey Mouse Club and uh, the wonderful world of Disney on TV. But being an East Coaster, I lived outside of Philadelphia, Norristown, Pennsylvania, in the late 50s and early 60s. So Disneyland was not going to happen for me and my family. My my parents said, no, that's on the other side of the country. We can't get there from here. So we didn't even have that opportunity. So in the beginning of 1964, we still lived in Norristown and the World's Fair was happening. And we were watching on TV all about Walt Disney, talking about all these things that he was doing at the World's Fair. And being outside Philadelphia, we were getting all of the hype of, you know, it's only a few hours away. Drive to, to, to New York and see the World's Fair. So uh, my dad, because he couldn't take us to California, decided to take us to the World's Fair. So as part of his thinking, is how are we going to do this? He talked our, our elementary school into allowing a group of parents to chaperone a group of kids to go to the World's Fair on a school bus from Philadelphia to the Bronx and back on the same day. So imagine, you know, parents say, you know, trying to take, you know, let's see, my dad, I think in our group of kids, there were six and we all wanted to do different things. So each group of parents was taking a group of six kids to go do things. So of course, everyone just takes off in all directions at the World's Fair. So um, we all made it back to the bus, we all made it home. But that first experience of being at what in my mind was Disneyland. Mm -hmm. No matter what, you, you dropped off at your first amusement park and all you've seen on television since you were six years old was Disneyland, Disneyland, Disneyland. Oh, everything is supposed to look like that. And when you get in there, it really was. The Unisphere was in the center, just like the castle. And they had all these wonderful pavilions, just like you'd see on TV with the people going in and out and the clips of some of the rides you would have saw, seen on Disney uh, television, these were real. There they are. I mean, <laughs> riding these, these rides 
uh, was a new and unique experience for all of us. Um, but before we went to the World's Fair, we moved, I mean, we went to the World's Fair the first time, but when we moved to New York, before we went back to the World's Fair, my dad took us to this place called Freedom Land USA. Now, this is a very important thing that most people don't know, that the developer and creator of Freedom Land USA was a Cornelius Vanderbilt Wood. Now, if you don't know that name, you got to do your Disney history. Cornelius was one of Walt Disney's right-hand men in the designing and building of Disneyland in California, the original Disneyland. So when Wood and, had finished Disneyland, Walt wasn't building anymore. He was going to build the World's Fair, but Cornelius didn't know that for many years until that. But Cornelius hired himself out and he built other amusement parks in the Disneyland Thought best. We have one up here in Massachusetts uh, that was in Wakefield, Mass, which was, uh, you know, with uh, what the heck was that called? You Pleasure, guys know? Pleasure Island. Pleasure Island. Same guy designed that to design Freedom Land that designed a lot of the other theme parks. So guess what? World's Fair. We need smart people. So Walt suggested Cornelius, but he was in competition with the World's Fair. But that didn't stop Walt from getting his friends help. And starting in about 1960, they started designing the attractions. So um, I, was, I was very lucky to be good friends with a gentleman named Ralph Kent, who was a Disney legend, who in 1958 walked into Walt's office in California with a little note that Walt had written him saying, uh, "Come if you ever come out to California, come and see me. Well, Ralph was an artist and had written to Walt, showing him his pictures. And Walt actually wrote him back saying, come out and see me. Well, Ralph thought for sure that was a job offer. So at 18, he walks into Walt's office with the letter and Walt hired him. And in 1959, they relaunched the Mickey Mouse watch. And then Walt put Ralph in to work on the World's Fair. And so a lot of the stuff is, is like moving parts that Walt had to find people to do it for him in many ways that he trusted or that he could teach to follow his way. So that's just the backstory of a little bit of why the World's mm -hmm. Fair and Walt is all so tied together. You know, it's chronological and stuff. Yeah, I just want to add a couple of things to hit upon what you said earlier. So yeah, around 58 or 59, they started to look at building something on the East Coast and for two reasons. One, like you said, people from the East Coast weren't coming to Disneyland. Only 5% of their visitors came from the East Coast. And the other one is they were just starting to get competition. Like you said, all these other parks were starting to spring up. And so, you know, it made sense for them. And it was all friends doing it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or let's just say the people he taught or inspired. But that's true. We weren't going there. And the difference between Disneyland and all other amusement parks all of the amusement parks were just coasters and uh, standard rides. There was no themed attractions. Freedom Land went full tilt themed attractions. Everything was about American history. I mean, but weird. Like you rode the San Francisco earthquake ride. You <laughs> rode the Chicago fire ride. I mean, they, they, the concepts were just like, okay. You, you rode in an open coach like a stagecoach and Indians attacked you. I mean, <laughs> all, no seatbelts. I mean, it was like 
crazy scary fun. So where, again, where was this? Was this outside Philadelphia or where was this? Bronx, Bronx, Bronx New York. The Bronx, really. Where Co-op City is now, those big giant high rises, that that was where Freedom Land was. <laughs> I mean, it was a it was an amazing you know, spectacle, but absolutely what you just said was true. Walt was seeing his vision of themed attractions being used and capitalized by others. It didn't need a TV show. Although Palisades Park had New York radio and TV shows promoting it all the time. You know, uh, all, Cousin Brucie and all those things are like all over those. So, so all of a sudden they're creating this big presence. So I believe I mean, and you probably know as well that Walt was able to catapult above all that by creating Epcot Center at the World's Fair. By his big vision was, ah, oh, man, I have this vision of what I call Walt Disney World, but I can't build it yet because the world's not ready and I'm not ready. But hey, these guys have a lot of money. Let's go build something for them and experiment with bringing in sponsors like GM and building Futurama. Oh, building, bringing in sponsors and building It's a Small World and bringing in sponsors and building Sinclair's Dino Land. So his whole development of the next level of an amusement attraction was being able to say, oh, huh, we get all the countries in the world to come and build a location on our property for us and pay us. Oh, I like that. So, <laughs> you know, I wasn't there, but you know, that's my thinking and that it didn't Epcot didn't really uh, take too long after that Epcot and magic kingdom and Disney world didn't take too long for him to realize that that's where he wanted to go. Mm -hmm. uh, but it, the 64, 65 world's fair was temporary, which was dumb uh, to put that much money into an amusement park and and then shut it down. Uh, so and, and Walt said that. So he says, I'll take uh, Carousel of Progress. I'll take that small world. You don't need those, uh, you know. And instead of having to go and reinvent the wheel he just reinvented, he just installed the wheels and made his bus run faster. Now, tell us, so you were there, you went on these rides. Tell us a bit what it was like and particularly like you, you mentioned like it's a small world so that basically got transplanted to disneyland people have been on that ride but the the, the gm one right that was like what the skyway or something Futurama, yeah yeah what was that like because that didn't oh, that, that was pretty amazing i think ford had one also they both had competing car rides where you're riding in a small version a kid-sized version of one of their cars and it was just the highway of the future into the sky pretty much like any dark ride that they had but showing you what the future of automation automotive automation was going to be you know the brand new 64 mustang at the ford booth and the you know the brand new chevy camaro whatever the current uh, you know iterations of their they're selling cars it was just like an auto show going on continuously where you get in the ride and when you get off the ride, you're in an auto show and they're trying to convince you to buy a car on property. Uh, so that was fun. But the best part about most of these rides was the, the merchandise. You know, there was merchandise for everything. Uh, that was part of the whole Disneyland mentality was, sure, they paid five bucks to get in, but we're each gonna, they're each going to spend 50 bucks before they leave. And so Walt very wisely manufactured tons of merchandising for his characters and his 
products that were on sale there and got his royalties and his license fees and everything else for his stuff. I mean, you can't imagine how many great It's a Small World items are out there from the 64 or 65 World's Fair. You just don't see anymore. They're in collections. They never come out or they disappeared, you know? So to me, it was about the collectability and all the stuff, the collector's items that were there. And even as a kid, I was around buying things, you know? I have I, I have my blow mold dinosaurs over there from the uh, Sinclair Pavilion. So, you know, <laughs> you just gotta, here's, here's my, Mug from the 64, 65 World's Fair, big tankard. Um, these are exciting dinosaurs from the World's Fair. These were compliments of Sinclair dealers. And that was another one of those tie-ins that Walt figured out. But that was, was that a car ride that you, you drove through the dinosaurs or? No, no, it was together? a walk, walk through. Walk through, was, okay. They were full-size giant, well, what dinosaurs look like in the 60s you know, full-size examples, and um, you'd walk through them, and you could see them from pretty far away. I mean, they had the giant Uniroyal Ferris wheel, and you could see the dinosaurs when you're on the Ferris wheel. So, you know, and then the sky ride went over. So it's like, you know, very futuristic merged with prehistoric. And it was kind of following in that um, modern... Uh, you know, apocalyptic modernness that was evolving in the 50s into the 60s in science fiction movies and and novels and short stories. Mm -hmm. Well, here it was in real person, in life. Futuristic flying saucers going over dinosaurs. So, and oh, that's so what it looked like. So, so explain for the audience in a little more detail. So that, that's the sky ride, which is different from yes. the skyway was with the cars. Right, right. The sky okay. ride was like typical sky rides, but they look like flying saucers. Oh. You know, so it was just kind of, but I, yeah. I have to say my favorite thing, and it still is probably to today, was it's a great big beautiful tomorrow, because it really was. That was like the greatest thing I'd ever seen. I think I wrote it at least five times, you mm -hmm. know, on the first time. Because why get off? You get off, you get right back on. There was never <laughs> a wait, you know, and the show just kept going. <clears throat> but that was like mind blowing to me. That was audio animatronics in, in the first time I'd ever seen anything like that. Mr. Lincoln, you couldn't, you weren't close. You know, you were so far away at Mr. You know, uh, when they premiered Mr. Lincoln there, mm. that you couldn't see it. He's way down there. It could have been anything. You, what, you couldn't see it movement. You couldn't see his eyes blink. You know, there was none of that. But in Carousel of Progress, those things were right there in front of you, moving and interacting and coming to life. That was like, for me, the first real robots I ever saw, the first real animatronics where it actually coordinated. Those models were moving to sounds that it sounded like they were coming out of them because they had directional speakers right there. So the technology just blew me away. And, and yeah, you know, well, the story a... got old, but the technology never got old. Yeah, I and mean, it's amazing how well it has held up over the years, but that was the first. Yes. They invented audio animatronics and that was really the debut of them there. Although in 63, I think they had the Tiki Hut, but that's kind of a more primitive audio animatronics where you just have the bird beak going, going in sync. But this was really a breakthrough in terms of and the technology. All anybody, ever, all anybody ever talked about was Mr. Lincoln stood up and talked, 
Yeah, but if you weren't in the first three rows, it was just a blur in the because you know, they had the lighting and it was all dark and very supposed to look very somber and and you know respectful. But to 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 me, it was like okay, history, good, thank you. <gasps> look at that dog! He turned his head and barked. Oh my God! Those ears! How can you not? Grandma, get out of the bathtub. You know whatever it is. <laughs> You know, the, and the, and you recognize those voices from the cartoons, the old Disney cartoons. You hear those voices and you recognize those characters. And that's just part of why it was so magical for me. Hmm. Yeah, I, gotta, I gotta ask you this. So, you know, today you want, you're going someplace, you look it up on the internet, you kind of have some sense of what you're getting into. Now with the World's Fair, did you have any idea as a kid that this is what you'd be seeing or you're just like, oh, I'll just go in here and check it out. Like, Take me back to like, what was that like as a kid? So you can kid? watch, there's there's a lot of TV footage that's available on that internet-y thing the, of the prep, what they were pushing out as media of all these things. And there was a Walt Disney Wonderful World of Color on in 63 as they were building it. And Walt walked around and he showed like Lincoln and he showed, you know, all these things. So we had an idea that this was going to be Disneyland in our neighborhood. So my whole hope was that I was going to experience Disneyland, even though you can call it the World's Fair. I don't know what the World's Fair means. All I know is that this guy who I've been watching on TV half of my life by now is, is creating something magical for me to go see. And my parents are foolishly taking me. So there you go. I'm like, so my expectations were that I was going to a Disneyland. There was nothing else. What else could you compare it to? There was nothing, you know, at all you can compare what they were showing you on TV. They're showing you the sky ride. And I've seen that at Disney, you know, and you, they're showing you dinosaurs and, and things that you just only could see at Disney. Yeah. And you actually saw things that they didn't have at Disney, right? Cause they didn't right. have those rides until after the world's fair. So that's right. So we were like previewing what was going to open up in Florida in, in six years. So it was kind of interesting that, Everything happened in Florida. You could track it all back to the World's Fair. Everything. So, yeah, 50th year of, of that, but count 60th year. Because when they started doing all the prep in 61, yeah, which was actually groundbreaking, and uh, all that other uh, important stuff, when all the, uh, the, the Disney artists were sitting around sketching, oh, what do you want to do this and that and that? They had to do all the ancillary sketches and all the um you know the set designs for every attraction because they wanted it walt wanted it to have that disney touch to it that you were experiencing it and i think that you know he was smart enough really smart enough to know that he'd be able to take those attractions back to his park but that his park is not big enough to bring in what was the world's fair which was you know i think 60 different countries bringing and building their own pavilions, you know, and then corporations coming in and building their innovation centers, you know, and showing their futuristic technologies, which is what Epcot is. So here Walt was kind of challenged in some way that the 
if you go back to all the other world's fairs, all the way back to 1893, Century of Progress, you know, it was all about showing what, where we've come from to where we are now and where we're going in the future. So in 1893, so many important things were premiered there. Same in 1904 in St. Louis. So each time there was a gathering, um, you, you expected things to come from it that would be in the future well-remembered and every time there has. So these exhibitions no longer exist because on a daily basis, Epcot Center's doing it. So, uh, or they produce things for their own exclusive needs versus for a worldwide audience. So mm -hmm. he was ahead of his time in his thinking that this World's Fair type of theme needs to go someplace where it can be controlled properly. And that's where Epcot, I mean, I'm sure he was just moving Disneyland Magic Kingdom into Florida, but being able to see the World's Fair succeed gave him the real future vision to, to, to say before he passed, this is Epcot. And it was, if you look at Epcot and you look at the Unisphere in the center of the World's Fair, yeah. hmm, looks familiar. Uh, so that is a direct correlation to his experimenting with, you know, uh, soft themed stuff with other people's money. And he learned that other people's money would pay for Florida. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And he already had a lot of money from the Disneyland. They, they were pretty flush, but yeah, he's smart about that. He used their money to, to test out the technology and build these rides. And that carried over to the early days, like Disney World. A lot of people, I'm, you and I are old enough to remember, but a lot of those rides would still be sponsored by companies in the early days of the Magic Kingdom. And Epcot still to this day has sponsors for different parts of, of the park. Um, so he, he wasn't a fool when it came to money, even though Roy was the money man. Well, I'm just saying, uh, when it really came to the strategic ability to align a product with a attraction, that wasn't Roy. Roy put the prices on it. Roy oh, yeah. No, no. I'm just saying. I'm saying Walt, Walt was, was very smart said, about the money, even though everybody gives Roy credit for the money stuff. Walt right, wasn't just Walt a was sort of said, you know, Monsanto and a building of the future. Let's try that. You know, let's try Carnation and a little uh, milk stand. Okay, sure. You know. Yeah. And then right. he'll send Roy to go collect the money. Go collect yeah, the money. Exactly. Yeah. No, he, he, you know, he was very detail oriented and knew all these things for what would make the park work. And wasn't just you know a dreamer. And it's funny because I did own the prospectus to Disneyland, and some of those things were written in there. You know, not in the, the grand way they became, but in the original prospectus, uh, you could see that that's how he was thinking. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. After we had you as a guest, I went and looked at the prospectus on uh, was it Boing Boing? Boing? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was amazing. Just it was amazing how much actually he had it right from the almost from the beginning in that prospectus. But Lily Pushin Land never came together. I don't know. <laughs> Must have been a small project. Anyway, <laughs> thank you very much. I'm doing stand-up comedy here. I'm there sitting. Yeah. Well, it's fine. I just read that apparently one of the world's fairs that Walt went to, I think it was like 1939 or something. 39. There was a, a, a miniature exhibit, and he had the idea of making a miniature thing called Dislandia. He was calling it, and that eventually gave him the idea for Disneyland. 
Well, there was many of those miniature uh, uh, roadside attractions, they were called, you know, and where people would, you know, skilled craftsmen would do a miniature of a, of a city or a town. Many of them are in museums now, but a lot of those things was the only entertainment people had. You could go on a roller coaster or you could go stare at somebody's, you know, collection or look at a miniatures with a train running around it. You know, that's part of uh, model railroading that Walt comes from, real railroads and model railroads, you know? So, you know, that whole mentality of, well, what do you do with all this track and these trains? I don't know. Let's build something. And the next thing you know, oh, let's put a Ferris wheel in it. Where are the kids going to go? You know, where's the park? And so you strategize on your fantasy land. And, and I think that's where Walt came through all that was seeing those type of roadside attractions. The 33 World's Fair in New York, there was a 33, uh, Chicago 33, 34, then the New York 39, 40. Both of those were very pivotal because of the war about to start. Mm -hmm. So the fascists had already started in Europe in 33 and there was all kinds of trouble because of, you know, a lot of things going on in Europe. And so getting the world to participate in the Chicago World's Fair, you know, there were some very important things that happened. But by 39, the future was in hand. Television, all these things were now real and atomic energy. There was all kinds of things. Deco, Art Deco styles. So these different things were now worldwide and being influenced. So Walt goes to this and he sees these things in art and style, both of these. And he sees in both fairs, this art and style and how people interact with art and style and attractions and education and things like that. And developed in his mind that that's, he gets them. He gets people, they come to him. He tells them stories. How do you do that in a place? And that's where, like you said, he built a little one first, and then a bigger one, and then a bigger one. <laughs> and then he goes and dies on us. What the heck? Yeah. Now, uh, you talked a lot about the Disney stuff. Just were there was any, uh, anything else that really stands out in your mind from the World's Fair that wasn't maybe a Disney thing that you really loved? Okay, so this is my secret. Okay. <laughs> 64 World's Fair, for the first time, I discovered Belgian waffles <laughs> from Belgium. There was a Belgium waffle, waffle place right there. And it was like, what's that? You've never had these. What are they? They're Belgium waffles. And they were incredible. Whipped cream. Oh, so every time I went, I had to go get a Belgian waffle. <laughs> and so there you go. That's my that's my sad story. Oh, well, plus I collect World's Fair stuff, so I have way more stuff than I need. Yeah. <laughs> Again, how many times did you go over that that time period, you think? Five five times. Five times. Yeah. Belgian waffle every time or oh yeah. That was like <laughs> required mom and dad knew that it was just not even a question i was like <laughs> just curious for you know the sake of uh, nostalgia and inflation like what what did it cost for a waffle do you remember oh i think it was a dollar it might have been a, a whole dollar? dollar back then wow oh no it was a belgium waffle yeah this was still. not just your regular you could have gotten the waffle down the, the path there maybe but this was like this thick and you know beautifully golden and had that malt in it and you know that just made it just perfect and it wasn't huge it was thick but it was a little square mm -hmm. but like 
you know, that was my lunch, breakfast and lunch. I was good with that. Whipped cream piled up this high. I mean, gee. <laughs> and, I, and again, you know, when you're a little kid, your parents give you a couple of dollars to spend on souvenirs. So what do you buy, you know? So I remember buying one of the giant pencils with a little tassel on it with all the World's Fair graphics. I bought a postcard thing that had folded out with like 10 postcards on it. It was like... Uh, you know, and again, you grab the program guide for each day and then you buy the big, thick program book that you never could read. Because if you're sitting there reading it, you're going to bump into people while you're trying to walk. And so you usually read it on the way home. Oh, I wanted to go see that. Uh, but, you know, oh, P.A. Ta was there. I didn't know. that. Oh, yeah. Well, it didn't. I saw Tyrannosaurus Rex, you know, mom and dad <laughs> want to go see sculpture. Tyrannosaurus Rex. Who? What kid wants to go see? David or Pieta, not me anyway, <laughs> uh, but they were there and, you know, so there was something for all generations. Was it the actual David or it was a replica? Yeah. Oh, actually. Yeah. Yeah. They, brought, they brought the actual David over? I think so. Well, it could have been a fake. I was 12. What do I know? <laughs> I wasn't looking. But that's yeah. what they did at World's Fairs. They, they showed the sure, world's yeah. greatest arts and treasures. I mean, it wasn't for kids all. It wasn't. All. I mean, they had a huge amusement park on the other side of the parking lot there. I mean, like largest amusement park, uh, you know, Ferris wheels and roller coasters and all the the scam artists, gamers, excuse me, gamers, you know, all the games and all the, you know, everything else. And I couldn't imagine anybody would want to go over there when there was all this other stuff. Tyrannosaurus Rex. I mean, there was. Why would you want to go stand in line for a, a, a vomit-inducing roller coaster that's probably not safe anyway? When you can ride a Mustang through the, you know, future. So, every something for everybody. They have water <laughs> shows. They had car shows. They had all kinds of stuff there. I have to ask you guys. So I'm. I have siblings that I think were at the World's Fair at this time, and I'm thinking back to photo like an old photo album were there like giant pink elephants yes there? am i hallucinating that i because i can remember seeing like as a kid seeing pictures of my siblings and my mom being like that's the world's fair and like huge elephants does that you remember in dumbo i don't think it was dumbo it was kind of no, like but a do you remember pink elephants on parade in, Del in dumbo yes yes it was a song and it was a, yeah, a yeah. short animation thing yeah. that was pulled out of Dumbo and used at the World's Fair. Oh, okay. And then they used it for also for Fantasmic at, at, at Disney World. Oh. That same clip. All and right. Put it on the water. Look it up. It, you know, uh, Pink Elephants on Parade. Now, you, you mentioned the Unisphere. Like that's the only thing that's left now. Are you still, if you go to no, no, the, New York, the New York Pavilion's still there. The oh, is two it? big towers. Oh, yeah. Men in black. You see Men in Black? Yes. First, yeah. The two towers that go up there with the spaceships on top. Yeah. So at the fair, those were what were they, elevators or something? Well, that was the New York State Pavilion. And you could go up on, on up those elevators yeah. and see the all 360 all the way around the uh fair. No. I never I never went up there. I rode the sky ride. <laughs> it seemed more fun. Yeah, now those uh all the things at the World's Fair for the Disney stuff, they've all kind of lived on, right? The Carousel of Progress is at Disney World. Um, the most the, continuous shows by any show ever. Ever. 
That's right. So, any Broadway show, anything. It's the any most continuous show. running show. Yes. Yep. Um, the, the dinosaurs you speak of are now at, at Disneyland on the train ride. If you take the train ride, you will go past the dinosaurs. Some of them, not all of them. There's a couple. Uh, yeah. And uh, what else was, oh, Mr. Lincoln is obviously part of the Hall of Presidents in Florida and it's still Mr. Lincoln, uh, the great, what, great moments of Mr. Lincoln at Disneyland. Yeah. Uh, but the, the car thing didn't really. Futurama didn't go. That didn't go. Yeah. No, I don't think that the sponsorship relationship worked right. But, you know, mm -hmm. that would be research would find that out where that fell apart. Um, the thing, what was the other? Yeah, the, the carousel is my still, you know, the best. So and I'm glad that they re, they keep updating it. And I'm glad they made the song, the commercial for the TV thing. You know, it's like. It's the truth. Now people want to ride it and no waiting. Yeah, no, I love I love that ride. My, my sister particularly does not like that song and oh, just dresses her when she sees a commercial now. But, oh, I love it. It's great. I song. love it too. Andrea, how do you feel about that the song? I know you don't like the ride that much, but how about the song? I, I don't want to talk about the carousel progress. I'll, <laughs> let, I'll let you people enjoy it. And wait, 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 wait. What could you not like about carousel of progress? You know, I like it for the kitsch factor, but after about like three minutes, I'm like, all right, can we move this along a bit here? I, I just, I, I, you know, I came to it later in life. And so as an adult, I was like, what am I watching here? So I, we're, we're going to have to agree to disagree, Gary. No, yes, you can't. I'm going to have to talk you into it. No two ways about it. We're <laughs> going to have to just put headphones on you and just make you listen to it over and over again. To your brainwash. Yeah, you know what he wants. Because you know why? You know why? Why? Because it's a great big beautiful tomorrow. <laughs> so I will. I will say this though. I have after hearing about the World's Fair and you know as a kid seeing this and kind of being blown away by the dogs and says I have a new appreciation for it. So I'm gonna next time I go I'm gonna look at it through those 1964 eyes and I, I think I'll I'll enjoy it more that way. If you think about it as the very first robot you ever see ever in your life, when you see it, and just think about it, I've never seen a robot before. Is that what a robot is? Yeah. You have a different perspective. Uh, you know what? You're shifting the needle, Gary. You're shifting the needle, I got to say. <laughs> yeah, just to give some more context. So, like, people who grew up in our era, Andrew, you're younger than I am, but you're used to Disney World and the technology there. But if you go back to like Disneyland when it started, as big a hit as it was, the technology was pretty simple. Like most of the, there's the car ride, there's a, a carousel, a regular carousel, there's the teacups, there was Peter Pan. And the most was just a roller coaster that was as rickety as anyone you'd seen in a traveling yeah, the, show. The most sophisticated thing was the Jungle Cruise. Right. And, and that's just really well done, but it's just mechanical. It's not. Right audio animatronics like they had. So the World's Fair is really the birth kind of of this modern amusements with an audio animatronics. And it was all done with, with air, compressed air. You don't even know that. Now it's all circuits and switches. That was compressed air. It's like, so wait, explain, explain that a little bit more to us. You ever, you ever heard, but... seen an air compressor? Yeah, yeah. It blows air into a little tube. Yep. That little tube, the at the end of that little tube somewhere is the air comes out and pushes something and makes something move by air. Now, suppose it's about 100 feet away or 200 feet away, and that compressor is pushing air through that little tube to that ear, and that ear is going to go up like that 
on cue, 200 feet away, on time, when the dog turns his head and his ear goes up like that, and you look at it and go, how did that happen? Because you don't know that there's air pushing that because you're thinking, that's magic. How did that dog's <laughs> ear go up when his head turned just like that when he looked at me? You know, and the song was singing and the dog went bark. And you just go, wait a second, how did that happen? You don't know. Nowadays, Google it. They'll tell you how it works. Right. And so you're all jaded. You have no, <laughs> no longer a sense of imagination and wonder. You've able to, you're able to just, you know, just throw away all your beliefs immediately. You have no sense of disbelief. Yeah, and they used the compressed air because the motors at the time, they didn't have the control. It was really hard to make a motor start and stop without it being jerky. And they that's wanted right. the, the movements to look more, as natural as possible. So that's what the compressed air gave them. Yeah, and then the electron, electrical switches replaced a lot of that, but they still need compressed air it's for certain things that are bigger, heavier, you know? So that's how, in, in, in even the jungle ride back then when the hippo would come out out of the water, how did the hippo come out of the water? forced air uh, you know nobody would even think about that wow and then if the air pump gets stuck or there's gunk in it you know and they'd have to clean it out oh the hippo didn't come out of the water oh maybe he's sleeping the guy would say on the thing you know on the ride don't worry he's not dead <laughs> so yeah just so you know think about it next time you go or if you watch a video of it think about how hard that must have been to accomplish at the time I, no, I'm telling you, I have new appreciation after this conversation. Good. There we go. And maybe we converted some listeners as well. So that ride will continue to be, well, it's not very popular, but it continues to stay in the park. That's the same <laughs> thing as the Wedway. I love the Wedway. And they kept shutting them down. They shut down the Disneyland one. <clears throat> I'm not sure if the Wedway is still running through Tomorrowland in Magic Kingdom. Some days it's not. Some days it is. But that's like my favorite ride. No waiting. <laughs> Is that the little sky ride thing that kind of takes you behind Space Mountain? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's great. Like you said, you go behind Space Mountain, which is cool. Right. I mean, it's just a fun little airy ride. Uh, goes very fast and no waiting. Yeah, and I have to- Not a carousel of progress, no waiting. Get on wet, <laughs> no waiting. I was on the Woodway one time. I happened to just be on it when the fireworks happened. And it's really yeah. a nice place to watch the fireworks from. It is. Well. Yeah, no, it's a great ride because you and actually if you ask them when you're about to get off and if you go, can I go around again? They'll let you yeah. if there's nobody in line because there's never anybody right. in line. So uh, this has been great, Gary. Thank you for, for talking to us about the, the 64 World's Fair. Do you have any parting thoughts on the World's Fair? Uh, um, well, I guess I'll have to say that as a producer of events, I create all of my events to be like the World's Fair. So, you know, each time I try and create an entertainment experience i have to flash back to what entertainment experience really means you know and so where i got the the definition of it was the 64 world's fair entertainment experience i'd never been to disneyland so i didn't have that as a model of an entertainment experience but having been to the world's fair and then having gone to freedom land so you have to understand it was like Disneyland to like a cheap copy of Disneyland uh, that was dangerous. Uh, so yes, Walt had the the horse, the, the pony rides, uh, you know, where 
the trail at Disneyland where you rode the, the burrows and people fell off and it was all that. <laughs> well, Freedom Land beat that out. They put you on a, a Wild West wagon and went at 60 miles an hour with, you know, who cares? But the, the point was, is that the experience and the entertainment and how entertaining and experience merged together. To me, that's like the ultimate in creation. So Gary, speaking of entertainment experiences, do you have anything interesting coming up that our listeners should be um, want, may want to check out in the month of November? Absolutely. Come to my Northeast Comic Con and Collectibles Extravaganza. It's coming up November 26th, 27th, 28th at the Boxborough Regency Hotel in Boxborough, Mass. It is Thanksgiving weekend and guaranteed not boring and free parking. Um, it's just the usual Comic Con experience. You know, great vendors selling wicked cool collectibles and comics and toys. We got great artists and um, writers and creators in all spaces of entertainment. Uh, everything from cartoons to uh, books and, you know, uh, television and movies. Got great celebrity guests, which I'm very thrilled about that all these people want to come and participate in our events. And because of our attendees... Um, you know, really appreciate these guests. And I don't go for the guests that charge a fortune or are extremely famous. I go for really nice people who really love their fans and we and never charge more than $25 for an autograph because that should be the most anybody charges and that's fair. But we have great guests. For me, a very important guest, I have Kaylee Hoddle. And Kaylee is a 12-year-old actress and she's totally deaf. And she stars in the, one of the biggest blockbuster movies of this year called Godzilla versus Kong. She is the little girl who is in the movie from the first scene to the last scene. She's incredible. I mean, deaf, sign language. So mm -hmm. we're really coming up to the, to the table here with, we hope that people want to learn American Sign Language, that we can create an atmosphere where uh, hearing disabled people who are have great careers in the creative arts can share their message and their their um, their their goals and the fact that they've achieved them with the people uh, that are also trying to strive for the same thing. So we have her. We have uh, uh, Robert Wool from Arliss. We've got yeah. uh, Michael Winslow from Spaceballs and Police Academy. Billy West from Futurama, Marta Christian from Lost in Space, Christine DeBell from Meatballs, um, Francois Clements, Officer Clements from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. He's an <laughs> African-American, 80 years old. So I got an 80-year-old man and a 12-year-old girl. Both got something to share about their careers. And part of our programming is all about careers in the creative arts. We feel that there's a job in the creative arts for anybody that wants it. You just have to study. You got to be diligent. You got to care. You got to want it. But anybody can make it in creative arts. You just have to find the right mentors, get the right answers and do it because there's so many jobs. So we try and give a lot of presentations and programming on careers in the creative arts. So we've got great artists, great uh, actors, musicians. We've got concerts Friday and Saturday nights. But Andrea, you should know about this. We have our Comics Con Battle Royale, 
oh, where stand-up comedians will be competing to take my money. That's oh. right. If you think you're funny, take my money. I'm giving a $500 prize to the best comedian chosen by the audience. So we have two preliminaries, Friday night and Saturday night. Eight comics will stand up in each of them, try their luck against each other to get the audience's approval. The winner of the preliminary gets 100 bucks. Then the four preliminary winners will go up against each other to win $500. And one of the top comedy agents in the world is going to be there. So there's a chance for anybody that thinks they're funny to come and take my money. And I'm, I'm not <laughs> competing, but it's my money. Anyway, it's going to be fun. So Gary, you can, you can get a career, you can do your Christmas shopping, and you can win a stand-up comedy contest all in one weekend. What? That's right. what and, dan and dance till 11 o'clock. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. <laughs> Did I mention not boring? Yeah, sounds fantastic. And Andrea can vouch; she went to the last one. After yeah, so I, I so NRQ, what a great, what a great outing that was. So highly, highly recommend. Well, we, well, since we're on the air, you could probably find some way to have a contest for your listeners to maybe win a prize of a couple of passes for the show. We could probably work that out. I print them, so I could print money. Um, just let's okay. let's have a contest. You figure it out. Oh, you we'll do that. We've been we've been is. doing that online. Yeah. We've been giving things away for to people if they listen to the show or like the like the tweet or whatever. So yeah, we'll definitely coordinate with you and do that and give uh, two tickets away. That'd be awesome. You have two tickets away to two lucky winners. Maybe we'll ask them a trivia question about I don't know World's Fair or Disney or I don't know something dumb. One something you know. All right. You choose. All right, sounds good. That thank sounds you. Good. Thank you so Go much to my for website at necomiccons.com northeast comic cons at um and go to the website all the info's up there we are a you must show proof of covid vaccination to come in we have decided you know i decided a long time ago but more than a month ago i announced that you'd have to show your covid proof to be able to come in and people the trolls went crazy um you know oh wah, 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 i can't go well good bye no one cares uh, but anyway <laughs> ticket sales are up we're gonna have a very safe show mostly it's because the kids 12 and under that can't get vaccinated why should they have to be worried i mean they right. should be wearing their masks anyway but the best part is because no everyone will be vaccinated everyone won't be forced to wear a mask I mean, it's cold and flu season. Con crud is the worst. So wearing a mask is probably going to be very helpful at times, especially in crowds. But Andrea, you were at the last one. It's not that crowded. There's plenty yeah. of room. Yeah, no, it's yeah. great. It's summertime. There's a lot of outdoor stuff happening. And uh, it was well, wonderful. Not this time. We can't do outdoor. No, that's true. That's true. But I love seeing all the folks in costumes. I thought it was great. And uh, it's you know, everybody's kind of a celebrity for the day, it felt like. What, what a fun afternoon that was. Wear a mask. You're in your costume. You know, there you it's easy as that, you know? Yeah. All yep. right, one more one more time, Gary. Give us the uh, the web website and the dates. Northeast Comic Con and Collectibles Extravaganza, Thanksgiving weekend, November 26th, 27th, 28th at the Boxboro Regency Hotel and Conference Center in Boxboro, Massachusetts, right off of Route 495, and go to the website at www.necomiccons.net.com. Darn, I messed it up. I got the whole thing done until I got to www.necomiccons.com. Thank you. Excellent.
Excellent. <laughs> All right. That's been fantastic. Uh, Andrea, you want to wrap it up? I think everybody right. knows how right, we well, finish the show. All right, so we want to we want to say our traditional sign off to everybody. Gary, we'll start it once you hear it. I know you'll join in. So um, I know it's it's a great big <laughs> tomorrow shining at the end of every day. You know what? It's a great big beautiful tomorrow. I'm you know what? We're gonna end this. We, we have a new ending. <laughs> there we go. Awesome. I think this is important change in your career. I think so too. All right, well, Gary, thank you so much again. It's always a pleasure. And, um, and, and thanks for adjusting my perception of the Carousel of Progress. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> awesome. All right, thank you. Aloha. <laughs>